Good morning, everybody. And I'm excited to be able to share with you again this morning. I don't usually get to get like two sermons in on a, you know, sermon series. So I'm excited to be able to do that. Um, Pastor Adam, he is in Europe. They're actually traveling from Vienna to Berlin kind of as we speak. So be praying for Adam as he leads the team there in Europe. I'm excited to hear the stories about how that goes and and what's happening. We are continuing in our sermon series over the book of Ephesians, and this is week four. And especially the book of Ephesians in the New Testament, it's a letter that Paul writes, and it really builds on itself. So the themes and the things he teaches in chapter one and two and three, it just continues to develop. So if you've missed out on some of the sermons, um, I really encourage you to go back. You can find the past sermons of this this sermon series on the app, or you can find it on the website, and just encourage you to go back and listen to those as well. And so Ephesians, just a reminder, we're talking about revealing the mystery of the gospel. Um, And in chapters one through three, Paul talks about how through the death and resurrection of Jesus, God has made a way for all peoples to become the chosen people members of God's family, holy and blameless in Christ. Everything is in Christ and through Christ that he is doing. And there is no longer any outsider or insider, no Jew or Gentile, um, no second class, no first class, none of that. So nothing um, separates us. He also points out that nothing is earned. It is not works, it is earned, it is from the abounding grace and love of God that all this is happening, and we're invited into it. So no matter who you are, what you've done, if you believe and accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, you are in. You are invited in. And for the people of God, no wall of hostility should remain. What he is doing, the different labels we use to separate ourselves, to categorize each other, and whether you're in the group or you're out of the group, and these things that that no longer has any place. Jesus is our peace. There should be no hostility between us. So whatever we might say, however, whether it's rich or poor, young or old, men or women, any ethnicity or nationality, white collar, blue collar, Republican, Democrat, whatever labels we like to slap on things as humans. It no longer has any place in the kingdom of God. It just does not make sense in what God is doing in this new humanity. Through the church, he is creating a new humanity. And that's kind of the overview of one through three. And then Paul pivots And and that's the revealing of the gospel. What is God doing? How has he revealed it? And then Paul pivots in chapter four in verse one. And now he says, he's not looking at God anymore. He looks at the church. And this is the key verse. This is the sermon bumper every week, what you're seeing. And he says, I urge you, looking at the church, this is a plural you. I urge you to live a life worthy. Live a life worthy worthy of the calling you have received. The church has its part 
in revealing the gospel message. And he continues, he says, what's the most powerful demonstration of the truth of God's message? And this is what Adam talked about last week. He said, it is unity. The unity of the church. He says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. And there's one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all. We're not just united by thought and belief, but it is unity through diversity. And so unity is best experienced in diversity, not in spite of it. It's all these different people with unique gifts and unique situations from whatever and all kinds of walks of life. It's each member doing their part to build up the body. We all have a role to play in the new humanity. And it is through the unity of everybody doing this. I mean, just imagine, everybody, just in this one church family, everybody in this room who believes in Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit, goes out every week, every day, and puts into practice what we teach and preach from God's word. Every day and every, what, what would that look like? How powerful would that be in our one community here? The quake of that, the spirit working through all the different people. And so he continues now in chapter four, 17, we're gonna look at 17, kind of five through 20. And Paul continues and he gets a little more personal so there's this new way to be human. Remember, this new humanity. There's a better way. And with the diverse expressions of Christ's love working through us. And he's like, so what does this look like? In everyday life, for you and for me, what, how should this be different? If we are leaning in and leaning into the new humanity. And there's two images that Paul uses in this section, when he's talking about Christian living, he says, putting off the old and putting on the new. Take off the old self, put on the new self. And then he continues, he's like, it's out of darkness and into the light. And these are talking about similar concepts here. There's just two different ways of describing it. So put off the old, put on the new, out of the darkness and into the light. So let's read. We're going to start in verse 17. As a reminder, if it's underlined, that's your part, and read it out nice and loud. All right. So verse 17 says, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. And separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. So what Paul is going to do, and, and as we move forward, it's going to become more and more apparent. He's kind of connecting this section of Christian living He's gonna connect it back to the early parts of Genesis. Um, he's got this in mind. And so 
this idea of, he describes the old way. Before you knew Jesus, this is what you did. This is your life. And especially for the Gentiles, those who are believers who are Gentiles before coming to Jesus. He's like, this is the way it was. And, you know, they were darkened in their understanding. I mean, this word dark, there is a separation from the light of truth. You think about what happened in the creation story. The waters were dark, chaos waters, and God speaks truth. He says, let there be light. And life develops. And so he's the Gentiles, the people within this world. And what Genesis 1 through, you know, kind of 8 describes is when there was the fall, you had Adam and Eve who sinned, and they were put outside the garden, just next to the garden, but they're just right outside the garden. Then you have the story of Cain and Abel. Cain kills his brother, and he's exiled even further. And what happens is describing is they're getting further and further. The generations go. It just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And Paul is making kind of this connection. It's like, look, the Gentile, the world and what's happening in the world and, and how the world operates and what's important and what we do, it's because of this separation, this little by little, the hardening of the heart, becoming desensitized to the light. And it's very similar to, I think what he's describing, it's very similar to how we develop bad habits, okay? When I know something is wrong, I know it's bad and I shouldn't do it, and the first time I do it, and I feel guilty and I feel ashamed and I don't want anybody to find out, I'm nervous, I'm uneasy, and I have a physical reaction to that shame and the guilt, I know what I did was wrong, and I just feel it. Anybody else experience that? I hope I'm not alone, okay? How did you feel the second time you did it? I still felt bad, but I didn't feel quite as bad. How about the third time? And the fourth time? And pretty soon, it goes on and I don't really feel that guilty anymore. I think this is what he's describing as the hardening of the heart. Now imagine hundreds of generations of separation, being desensitized on what is good, what is right, what is wrong according to God. He's describing this. I mean, the worst time in Israel's history, one of the worst moments in Israel's history during the judges, this is how it describes what was happening in Israel. Judges 21, 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone just did what was right in his own eyes. Everyone just did what felt good, what seemed right. And when we keep, this is this image of keep eating of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. I'm going to choose, I'm going to do what feels good, what seems right, and just for me. When we do that, we become desensitized and separated from the life of God. We get further and further away from the garden. And so Ephesians, we'll pick back up, verse 20 through 24. 
He said, that, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires and to be made new in your attitude of your minds. It's created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So Paul, he says, that old way, the hardening, that we're separated from life, we were in darkness, it was a dark time. It's like that old life, put it off, put it off. This is why Jesus died on the cross, to kill the old self, the sin and, and the things that happened. Put on the new. Take off the old Put on the new. This is a great way, picture of describing what repentance and baptism is supposed to be. It's this gift from God, repentance of this turning. Repentance isn't just me saying, I'm sorry, and I just keep doing what I want to do. Repentance is, my way is not working. And I'm going to turn and I'm going to follow God's way. Baptism that Paul describes in Romans 6, he, you know, it's the old self. We are buried with Christ. Our sins, he takes that and he, it is buried with him. I'm not doing anything in baptism. This beautiful thing that God is doing, he takes that old self and it's buried with Christ and I raise to new life. A new life, what I'm supposed to be created for. And so Paul goes on in verse 25 through 30. And, and what he's saying is the outer expression of who I am should match the inner reality of what Jesus has done. So if, if I'm a new life in Christ, he's like, it doesn't make sense for the old life just to be there. It's not, I mean, this is, I'm not, I'm not trying to drive a home of perfection in earning anything. That's not what it is. But the old that was dead, that needed to die, why do we want to resurrect it? Because we've been giving a new life. And so in 25 through 30, Paul gives this representative list of the behaviors we need to take off, but we also need to put on. It's not just don't do this, but instead, put on these things, becoming more like Christ. And so, take off, the first thing he says is, take off falsehood. Take off lying, take off the half-truths and, and all these things, and put on speaking truthfully. To have the courage to speak truthfully. He says, take off holding on to anger and resentment and instead put on resolving your differences. Don't wait. Be quick. When there is a problem, don't hold on to resentment. Be quick to fix it. Seek reconciliation. He says, take off for those who steal. Stop it. Quit stealing. But he doesn't just say, instead, you need to work. Pull yourself up by it. He says, Work so that you even have something to share with those in need. It's not just quit taking from others and take care of yourself. No, 
even have something you yourself can share with other people. He says, take off unwholesome talk and put on building others up. Unwholesome talk is probably not talking about curse words and bad words here. He's talking about gossip and complaining. Because, and he goes, build one another up instead. Put that on and finally take off bitterness, rage, and slander. It doesn't have a place and instead put on kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. What's interesting, in the middle of this list, Paul says this in verse 30, Ephesians 4, 30. It says, and, say that again. With whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. And while this list, the take off and put on this list, holds true to how we conduct our everyday lives, this is especially true on how we treat one another in the family of God. This is Paul's primary focus here. Yes, I shouldn't lie and cheat my coworkers, but remember, unity is the most important thing within the church. When... I fail to take the old self off and I spread falsehood. I hold on to resentment. I'm gossiping and I am complaining. I'm taking advantage of other people and I'm holding on to resentment and bitterness. It grieves the Holy Spirit. Let that sink in. This is the context of the church family primarily. When I hold on to these things, when I practice these things, particularly within the body of Christ, the church family, it grieves the Holy Spirit. It breaks God's heart. Because we are called to unity and love. Paul now in verse in chapter 5 verse 1 through 2 he shifts to this darkness and light metaphor and as we read we're going to read verse 1 and 2 and then 6 through 11 i want you to be listening for themes or words or phrases that call back to things we've heard in the genesis you know creation and false story all right be listening for this so ephesians 1 Kicking it off. It says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Follow God's examples. Be imitators of God. Verse six, he said, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath has come on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. Rather, expose them. 
Paul says, the deeds of darkness, expose them. And I think what he means is expose them for what they truly are. This isn't exposing them and relishing in it, you know, and, and celebrating the conquering. This is expose them for what they are. Because it's so easy to get sucked into the lie. So this picture of what Paul is saying to the church here, you know, out of the darkness and into the light. I want you to think about the creation story. You know, God created the world. It was dark and there was the chaos waters and he spoke, the spirit of the Lord, and he spoke and let there be light and life begins to flourish. Think about when he creates Adam and Eve, all right? His dearly loved children, And what were they to be? They were created in his image. What does he say in verse one? Be imitators of God. Live out the image of God as dearly loved children. Walking in the garden with God, walk in the way of love in the example of Christ. He, you know, you think of the serpent deceiving. You know, verse six, what does he say? Do not be deceived by hollow and deceptive words because disobedience brings God's wrath. What happened when they listened to the serpent's words? It led to the disobedience and it led to being put out of the garden. I think Paul has got this image and he goes, I mean, what does this all mean? I mean, talk about fruit. What is the fruit? The fruit of life. You know, they're supposed to eat from the tree of life. You know, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know, leave it alone. It's fruitless. It doesn't lead to life. So what is Paul getting at by these illusions? What he's saying is the new humanity, church, we were made for garden living, the new humanity, not just new creation someday, today, how we live our lives, how we connect and build one another's up, this is supposed to be like garden living. This is who the church is called to be today, not just someday. And it's, it's tempting for us to think of the, so the deeds of darkness, we didn't read them, but deeds of darkness, in today's society, it's easy to ask the question, so what's the big deal? Jesus died for our sins, it's forgiven, I'll get to go to heaven someday. What's the big deal with what I do with my body? Paul gives this list. He says, the deeds of darkness, what is it? Sexual immorality, impurity, greed, obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking. And you combine this list with the previous list. And what do all these things have in common? When I view people simply as objects to satisfy my desires, to get what I want, or to get ahead at somebody else's expense, I no longer view them as the image bearers of God that they are. I dishonor them. And I dishonor the God who created them, unique and special and dearly loved. That's why the deeds of darkness are a big deal. What is garden living? What does it look like? It looks like a place that is beautiful. There's healing and forgiveness and hospitality and love. And the deeds of darkness means I'm just using people for my own gain, for my own desires. 
And we're not just talking about fornication or homosexuality, but we're talking about lust, pornography. Are people just objects to satisfy my desires? Or do I really see the image of God in them? Immorality, greed, not just financial, but whatever I need to do to get ahead. Do I see people as somebody, just an obstacle to get over? Or do I see them as the loved image bearers of God that they are? Purity matters within the kingdom. It matters not because it earns me anything. It doesn't earn me anything, but it is a way to freedom. It is the way of becoming like God. It is the way to real peace, harmony, and shalom that we really want. Are you not tired of the chaos in the world? Are you not tired of the greed and the oppression and the hate and the divisiveness that we see in the world? God wants to heal. He has forgiven. He wants to heal and he wants to use the church to be a part of this. And when we are a part of the deeds of darkness, when we're lying and cheating and doing all these things, what God, he's like, I created you for garden living and these deeds of darkness, he's, he's like, the reason why people who do this, they have no place. Paul says this in verse five, that you have no place. So this describes you. You have no place in the kingdom of God. Why? Because I'm trying to get you back to garden living. And if you're gonna bring this into the kingdom, the people who want to live in the kingdom with me in a way of love, they're not welcome because I'm not gonna let them kill it. And if, you, if I think it makes no big deal because Jesus died for my sin and so it doesn't matter, you're missing the point of what God is inviting us into the healing of the brokenness of this world. And we can be a part of it and we can partner with him in that. So how do we do that? How, how do we lean in? I, this is not an expectation of perfection, but is this a, I, am want, I want to learn and I want to grow and I want the life that Christ gives. My favorite verse is Ephesians 5.10. I don't want to just go by without talking about it. It was a key verse for me in my life at a specific moment when I was younger. It's so simple. And I believe it is the mindset and posture we are meant to have every day. It simply says, find out what pleases the Lord. Living in the new humanity is not meant to feel like work, to be burdensome or tasks that we begrudgingly do. It's meant to be living with a posture of curious love for our God. That every day I get up and I go, God, how can I love you? How can I love also the people around me? Because if that's my question, the way of love, it's I'm not going to do the deeds of darkness intentionally because it's not loving to exploit people. It's not loving to lie. 
It's not loving to hold on to resentment. It's living with a posture of curious love. So what is our action step? I think Paul gives this in 15 through 17. So Paul wraps up this section. He says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So what does it take to live in the new humanity, to see this continue to grow and to flourish and, and to get stronger? The action step, it's called intentional living. This doesn't just magically happen. It's his people going, Lord, what would you have me do today? And praying that every day. It's having some spiritual practices that help me learn and grow what is the right mindset. How do I take on the mindset of Jesus? It is spending time with God. It is intentional living, but particularly when it comes to building up one another in the body of Christ. It takes intentionality. This is Paul's primary focus is how do we shine to the world as a people as a family. So my question to you all is, who can you encourage through words or actions? Today and this week. This is what we talked about last week. Every member has their part to build up the body. Everybody in here who's a follower of Jesus and filled with the Holy Spirit should be practicing this. Who can I build up? Who can I encourage today with words or actions? What can you do to build someone else up in the church this week? Is there someone you haven't seen in a while? Call them, text them. Don't assume somebody else is doing it. He's given you that name for a reason. Reach out. Maybe there's someone that you think probably needs a visit, could use some encouragement, has been in the hospital, who's been sick, who, who needs something. Do something. React. Make cookies. Marsha House loves to make caramel corn. It is the best, okay? If you get to be a recipient of Marsha House's, like, blessing, you are very blessed indeed. It is good, Maybe someone important in your life and you've lost touch. Reach out and let them know how much you appreciate them. This isn't, this is simple, but it is being intentional and it is taking the time to respond to that. Maybe there's someone who serves in quiet ways for our church body. Let them know you see them and you appreciate them and what they do. Our elders and other ministry team leaders, how can you encourage them? I know I've been encouraged, and I'm gonna tell them myself, I've been encouraged because I've eaten too many Reese's, and I put on a sweater today for a reason, okay? I started to button my shirt, and I went, shoot, all right? 
I wish I were joking, all right? <laughs> but I was like, I don't think it's really sweater weather, but it is today. Yeah. <laughs> Our elders are key leaders here and other ministry team leaders as well. I mean, I, I feel very well appreciated and I thank you. But a lot of times these volunteer leaders, when they hear from the church members, it is not encouraging words. How can you encourage our leaders? How can you build them up? Because they put in a lot of time as well. And they care deeply about our church family and it's not always easy. How can we build one another up how can we encourage? So that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna close in prayer. I invite you to stand in. My prayer is that each person here, that the Spirit gives you a name. The Spirit gives you a name and that you respond to that and you encourage them in the best way that God wants to do through you. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so good. Your good news, what you have done through Jesus, what you are doing and what you want to do in our world, in the church, through the church, and the kind of community that you want to build in us, Father, it should be a shining light to the world where people want to flock and be a part of it. Father, we confess that sometimes we get in the way. We ask for your forgiveness when we do that. But Father, we know that you are quick to forgive and you are calling us to be a part of something beautiful. And I do pray that your spirit, Father, we're gonna give you space I ask that you give a name to each person here. Father, as we listen to you this morning and, and throughout this day, and you bring somebody to mind and in our hearts, give us also the courage to respond, to step into it, and to build each other up as you have pictured and, and you have hoped. And I thank you for everyone here and the beautiful things you are doing in our lives. It is in Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, thank you everybody for being here. Go be salt and light in our world that desperately needs it. Have a great week.